right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. A little bit of a shorter show today out at 5.30 to switch over to pregame coverage of KU and BYU with a 7 o'clock tip tonight right here on KLWN. We are going to be talking a lot about that, of course, today on the show. Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports will join the show at 3.40. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show at 4.40. Got some audio from yesterday from Bill Self and Nick Timberlake we're going to get to, as well as uh, some KU basketball heroes and villains from KU's win against Texas. Plus, KU game picks coming up later on in the show leading into that pregame coverage of KU and BYU. Tonight, we're also going to have high school basketball coverage on our sister station, 92.9 The Bulls. So if you're looking for high school sub-state action, it'll be the Lawrence High girls taking on Olathe North. That will be uh, tip off at 7 o'clock over on our sister station with 92.9 The Bull. RCST, as always, is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. And, of course, off the top here, let's talk KU and BYU. Kansas comes in this game 21-6 overall. They are 9-5 and in the Big 12. Still sitting, unfortunately, two games back of Houston and one game back of Iowa State. The Jayhawks in sole possession of third place in the conference. Baylor with their win against TCU last night. They are now 9-6, and sitting in fourth. Texas Tech at 8-6, TCU at 8-7. That's kind of look at the top of the Big 12 standings. If you're looking for BYU, they are at 7-7 seven and seven in the Big 12. Currently tied with Oklahoma at 7-7. Seven and seven. The Cougars are sitting at 19-8 and eight overall, and this is a team that metrically they are loved. They've been top 10 in the net rankings for a majority of the year. They're currently act, they're, they're still ahead of Kansas right now in the, in the net rankings. If you look, BYU's 14, Kansas is 15. Kansas is 15. And the uh, Ken Palm also loves BYU as well, having them at 18, Kansas at 15 right now in Ken Palm. So if you just look at the metrics, you would think, okay, this should be a pretty competitive game. BYU played a just an atrocious non-conference schedule. I mean, really rough. Their best non-conference win was probably San Diego State. I think, I mean, you look at the rest of their non-conference schedule. So besides besides San Diego State, they played Houston Christian, Southeastern Louisiana, Morgan State, Arizona State, who's really bad. They did beat NC, NC State also. Uh, Evansville, they lost to Utah in the non-con. Denver, Georgia State, Bellarmine, Wyoming. So a bad non-conference schedule, and that's part of the reason why their metric numbers are so good, especially when you look at the net. Uh, I believe at one point in back in December, November, they were like top three in the net because of the fact that They've been beating all these bad teams by 20, 30, 40 points, and the net loved them because of it. 
Then they hit conference play, where it's been a little bit of a tougher sledding for them in their first year in the Big 12. They actually started conference play with consecutive losses against Cincinnati and Baylor, uh, but then they sort of bounced back a little bit. They lost at Texas Tech back in January. They lost at home against Houston in what was actually a really tight game late, but they lost uh, against Houston uh, towards the end of January. And then in February, they have lost three out of their seven games in February. They lost against Oklahoma back on February 6th. They lost at Oklahoma State, probably their worst loss on uh, last Saturday, February 17th. And then they lost on this Saturday, this past Saturday as well, in Manhattan against Kansas State, 84-74. to And listen, let's not beat around the bush here. They are a five-out, live-and-die-by-the-three-point-shot team. This is how they play. Mark, Mark Pope is their head coach. And they will shoot threes. They will shoot threes a lot. They will shoot threes very, very much. Uh, so much so, in fact, that they are number two in the country in three-point attempts per game at 32.4. 32.4 three-point shots per game for this team. Uh, meanwhile, if, if you want to kind of inverse that with Kansas, Kansas is sitting at 329 in the country out of 365 teams, 64 teams in the country in three-point attempts per game at 17.6. So BYU... They, on average, will shoot almost double the amount of threes that KU has shot this season. And they do so fairly effectively. On the year, they're sitting at 35% from three as a team, uh, which is in the top half of the, uh, of the country. 35% is not an insane number. I think basically average is like around 34, a little less than 34%. So it's, you know, 35% as a team doesn't necessarily jump out at you. But what, what does jump out at you is, those uh, the attempts which I just alluded to, they will chuck it and they will chuck it early and often and they will not stop. Even if they're not hitting, they will not stop. They do not care. They will keep shooting threes. So this matchup is is really kind of a matchup of polar opposites between BYU and KU. Uh, because KU, as I said, that's not been them at all this season. KU's coming off a game uh, against Texas in which they shot eight threes. Uh, BYU might shoot eight threes in five minutes. So uh, it, it'll be. It'll be quite the interesting contrast here of matchups. And the biggest thing for BYU is that their three-point shooting, <clears throat> excuse me, their three-point shooting uh, does not all come from one guy. They, they will legitimately have five guys on the floor pretty much at all times that can and will shoot from the three-point line. Uh, so it's not just really, okay, hey, they've got one or two guys that you really need to key on that are going to be shooting threes that you need to pay attention to. Uh-uh. Nope. This is everybody. This is all five guys that can go out there and shoot. They literally, they basically, they only have one player on their whole team that is not really a three-point shooter. That's uh, Fusini Traore. He's kind of a KJ Adams type, actually. Uh, 6'6", kind of undersized, but really big, physical, strong, uh, athletic player. Uh, he doesn't shoot threes. He's the only guy on their team that you will see that's not going to, to shoot threes uh, in this game. And like I said, the 35% doesn't necessarily blow you away. That's just slightly above average, but it's the volume that really, really... Uh, jumps out. Uh, now, in conference play, they've struggled a little bit from the perimeter. They're, that number actually dropped drops to 32% from three in a conference play, which I think partly explains why they are 7-7 seven and seven, uh, in conference play. Uh, overall, 41% of their total points come from three point, from the three-point line, which is third most in the country. So they, they shoot the three a lot, they rely on the three a lot, and that's where they get a, a significant majority of their points from, is uh, from the three-point line. So that's basically the headline of this game is they are a three-point barrage shooting team. Kansas has had some games this season where 
They struggled to defend three a little bit, and teams have shot very well against them. And so this could be a real test for KU uh, in this game against BYU. So I mentioned how they basically have five guys on the floor at all times that are that can and will shoot. But just a couple of guys you really want to keep an eye on. Uh, Jackson Robinson uh, leads them in scoring at just under 14 points per game. And also has, a three point, also has the most three-point attempts for them. And he's shooting 35% from three, so basically right at exactly what the number of their team shoots at. Trevin Nell is their best three-point shooter statistically at just under 41%. They also have Noah Waterman, who is a 6'11 shooter at about 37%. And then uh, Dallin Hall is another guy who shoots about 35% as well. And most importantly, all these guys are very, very high-volume shooters. Robinson is about almost seven threes per game. Nell, six threes per game. Waterman, five threes per game. And Dallin Hall, just under five threes per game. So again, these are all guys that are going to be very, very high-volume shooters. Uh, for BYU, and this is this is their game plan. This is their strategy. They've stuck with it. They haven't really changed much. They haven't really changed much over the course of the season. This is kind of who they are at this point, and they're going to play that way uh, every single night and rely on that. Uh, so it shouldn't come really as a surprise that when you look at games, in co- especially in conference play, that they've lost, it's because they haven't shot the ball well from three. In the loss against Kansas State they just had on Saturday, they were 6 of 31 from three, just under 20%. In the loss against Oklahoma State, you go back to lat to this previous Saturday, February seventeenth, and that game they went eight of thirty-five from from three for just under twenty-three percent from three. And even you go back to that the loss they had earlier in February against Oklahoma on February sixth, they shot thirty percent from three. So they really, really focus on the three-point shot. And again, I mentioned I mean, in those losses, right, thirty-one threes against Kansas State, thirty-five against Oklahoma State. Even if they are not hitting. It does not matter. They are going to keep shooting. And what that basically means for Kansas is you have to be on your toes essentially all 40 minutes uh, on defense because in a hurry, they could hit a couple threes and really, really change the complexion of the game, right? And this is where I've kind of talked about this. This Kansas team at times I think has struggled a little bit. They've gotten better, though. You, I mean, especially with the Texas game they just had on Saturday where – Looking for that that standard Allen Fieldhouse run, that sort of Allen Fieldhouse final blow, you know, where, okay, you get up by like 8 or 10 with like 12 minutes left in the second half, and then you have that run where it's like, then it's pushed to 18, then it's pushed to 20, and now that really is kind of the knockout blow. I think that'll become kind of important in this game against BYU. You don't want to let these guys hang around. I think that that's kind of my, my biggest takeaway from that is you don't want to let these guys hang around because... This could be a 10-point game with four or five minutes left, and all BYU would need to do is hit two or three threes in a row, and suddenly it's a it could be a one-possession game. Uh, so I don't think if, if KU is in a position, especially early in the second half, or, you know, or even as we get later into the game where they have a chance to extend the lead and really, really kind of blow the game open, I think they need to capitalize on that because otherwise you let these boys hang around, they could stack a couple threes together really quickly and, and suddenly really change the game late. Uh, so that's something I want. I would, I would keep an eye on, right? Is, is if early in the game, if BYU is not shooting great from three, you really want to put your foot on the gas pedal on the other end of the floor if you're Kansas, I think. Try to get some separation to where even if they do hit a couple threes in a row, it doesn't feel like suddenly it's a totally different game. So, and I mentioned uh, Fusini Traore. Again, he's like the only guy on their team that's, that's not a shooter. He's attempted three threes this season. Uh, funnily enough, he is two of three from three, so he's actually a sixty-seven percent three-point shooter. If you look at the, just his percentage on three attempts this season, 
Uh, but he does a lot of dirty work for them, kind of off the bench. Like I said, uh, he's he's really kind of a KJ Adams type of player, really at six six, not kind of undersized, but really really strong physical player. So he's a guy that uh, he's the only guy really you need to worry about, or you need to not worry about from three. That uh, that's not going to shoot the ball. Uh, so I have really when it when it comes down to the three point shooting for BYU, uh, I have two main concerns outside of kind of what I mentioned with the fact that. If you let them hang around, they could get back into the game really quickly by hitting some threes. My two main concerns for KU when it comes to BYU's three-point shooting in this game specifically, number one is Hunter Dickinson uh, because if BYU is going to play five out and try to spread the floor, that could put Hunter Dickinson in a bit of a tough spot. And and coincidentally, uh, how will he handle that? And I kind of want to – actually, I want to talk to Kevin Flaherty about this later on in the show and, and kind of get his thoughts on this because – I do think it's interesting, like what what is what's kind of the game plan to try to counteract that uh, on if you're Hunter Dickinson, if you're Kansas with Hunter Dickinson on defense, because obviously if you're Bill Self, you're not just gonna not play Hunter Dickinson if if, if that's the case, you're he's gonna be out there. So the question becomes, how do you play that? How do you try to make it to where, hey, you know, if he's if it's a Noah Waterman or if it's an Ali Khalifa, that's a, that's gonna be open from three and they're gonna shoot it. You need to make sure you have a, you have some sort of way to handle that, uh, and I think beyond that with Hunter Dickinson, the other aspect of that for Dickinson is I, I, I'm curious to see you know if BYU does attack him in terms of maybe putting him into situations where he has to try to switch onto somebody and it gets open for a three. Beyond that, I just want to see Hunter Dickinson not let that affect him at the other end of the floor because uh, you know I think it could be easy for him to get flustered or frustrated on defense and maybe that have him impact his offensive game. I don't want to see that in this game because I think KU is certainly going to need Hunter Dickinson on the offensive end. I think it's BYU, as we'll get into here in just a minute. But but yeah, that's my number one concern is Hunter Dickinson and how that kind of uh, shakes out with him. And number two is KU and switching off ball screens and just switching in general really on the perimeter because – you're gonna need a lot of you need you're gonna need to have a lot of good communication here, in the sense that if you switch and even for a split second a guy doesn't have a hand in his face, guess what? He's probably gonna pull the trigger on a three point shot. So KU's gonna to have to be very aware with their defense if that's how they want to play. And this could be a game I think where you do miss Kevin McCuller a little bit for that reason, for the sense of. Kevin McCuller as a good communicator, as a strong defender on the perimeter, right? Like the spotlight, will, the spotlight will be on Nick Timberlake as well uh, on the defensive end uh, because you've got to be aware and you've got to make sure that you're staying. You know, the the thing with BYU is if they're running ball screens and if they're playing five out, they're not going to be a threat to drive so much as they are going to be a threat to shoot the three, obviously. And so KU has to be has to be prepared for that and find a way to to make sure that they're still in good communication to where there's always a guy getting tagged on the perimeter to where he's not just open to shoot a three. So again, that could be a situation where maybe the loss of Kevin McCuller hurts a little more tonight than it did against Texas on the defensive end. Because against Texas, because they were smaller guards, talked about this, uh, because they were smaller guards, it didn't feel like you really lost much with no Kevin McCuller on the defensive end against Texas. That might not be the case tonight against BYU. Uh, other things for BYU beyond just their three-point shooting. Uh, because they shoot so many threes, when you look at them uh, metrically, they don't turn the ball over really that much uh, because they are, they're they a relatively quick tempo team and they're relatively quick to shoot a lot of threes. And so what that means is 
they don't turn it over really that much when you look at their possessions. And the other thing that they do pretty well is they're a pretty good offensive rebounding team, and I think that can be chalked with the fact that when you're shooting a lot of threes like that, that can result in long rebounds, but they're also, they do a pretty good job of chasing their own shots uh, as well. They're top 50 in the country in offensive rebound rate, so they, they do do a good job of that. So that'll be something to, to, to be aware of as well is you don't want to be giving them more than one opportunity to three per possession, so you want to try to do a good job to to limit that if you're Kansas as much as, as, much as you can. I kind of touched on him. Ali Khalifa is one of their other big men, and uh, he's a guy that can shoot the three, and he's also kind of just a really versatile player for them. He can kind of do a lot of different stuff. Uh, when you when you look at his numbers, he's he's a relatively impressive player, and he's not a guy that's going to jump out at you right away when you're watching the game. You're going to be like, dude, who is this guy? But he's a, he's a pretty effective player. Uh, 34% from three, and uh, he actually is, I believe, like, in terms of assists, he has the second most assists on the team. So he's also a really, really quality passer uh, uh, with the ball in his hands as well. So he's kind of a guy to, to especially keep an eye on as somebody who can create for BYU on the offensive end in other ways. And, and you know, if he's the guy that's able to draw Hunter Dickinson out and maybe the some of the, the rare times that BYU does try to attack the rim, that could be ways in which they try to utilize that if they bring they use him to bring out Hunter Dickinson if that's the matchup and uh, and try to to execute that way. So he's a player to keep an eye on as kind of another versatile guy that they have. On the flip side for BYU, talked a lot about three-point shooting. Obviously, that's a big factor in this game, but their defense is really not that great. In fact, it's kind of bad, especially in conference play. In conference play, they have a bottom three defense uh, in Ken Palm and conference only play. They don't force a lot of turnovers. They don't block a lot of shots. They're bottom five in the conference and effective field goal percentage given up. And they just, they're just not a very good defense. In seven games in February, they've given up 80 points per game uh, in these games in February. And some of those some of those games that they've given up 80-plus points has been against bad offenses. I mean, K-State, objectively, a bad offense, an anemic offense, they put up 84. Oklahoma State scores 93. UCF put up 88 on them. So, not only are they giving up a lot of points, they're giving up a lot of points to offenses that really aren't very good. I mean, 93 to UC, 93 to Oklahoma State, 88 to UCF, and 84 to a Kansas State team that, again, is just bad. Hey, look at Kansas. If you remember, coming off their big, great shooting performance against Houston, they kind of laid they kind of laid an egg offensively against Kansas State. Their next game, a couple differences though. Number one, that was a road game in Manhattan. Number two, it was a Monday. You get an extra day here with Tuesday. And number three, the biggest difference is they're at home uh, again. In which case, they had to go on the road. And then BYU's defense is significantly worse than Kansas State's. So, the most interesting thing for me. In this game is certainly Hunter Dickinson. Uh, I think he's he's probably going to be a guy to watch, and then Nick Timberlake will be, I think, the other guy to watch. Because again, he he's coming off a game against Texas where Bill Self said even said he liked Timberlake's defense. But you flash back to the Baylor game late, and Timberlake messed up on some closeouts and three point shooters. That can't happen, right? That can't happen. So ultimately, this game is kind of a true test of three of the threes versus twos, right? I mean, what's going to win? I you know I don't. I don't expect Kansas to change their offensive game plan from the standpoint of 
they're going to go out and try to match BYU from the perimeter and try to shoot a lot of threes. And I don't think they should, right? I think for KU, it's, hey, play your offense, work through Hunter Dickinson. This is not a, a great BYU defense. So you should have the opportunity to to get guys open. I look for Dewan Harris again in this game to possibly have a nice game. Uh, and, and, you know, run your offense. And try not to be rattled if BYU does come out and hit some threes early. Because I guarantee you there's going to be a stretch at some point in the game where BYU is probably going to hit two or three threes within a small amount of time. That I think that that's just going to happen. And the biggest thing for KU is whenever that does happen, whether it's early, whether it's, you know, when they go on a run at some point, later in the game, whatever, the biggest thing is just don't don't let that change up what you're doing. Don't let that affect what you want to do on the offensive end if you're Kansas. And I think you should be fine. Uh, again, the fact that BYU's defense has been so bad, I get the sense that even if BYU is able to be effective from three, I, I think that I, I feel like Kansas is going to be able to score pretty easily and should be able to score pretty easily in this game. So I do have some concerns about if, you know, I think BYU is going to need not only a good shooting night, probably a great shooting night from three to overcome that uh, if their defense is, is unable to slow down Kansas, which I kind of expect that to be the case. So that's kind of what I'm maybe most paying attention to is, is how that plays out. But should be a fun game. 5.30 pregame coverage will start right here on KWN for a 7 o'clock tip tonight in Allen Fieldhouse, Kansas, and BYU. Of course, you can hear that game right here on your original home for the Hawks on at KLWN. We'll talk a little bit more about this throughout the show with Matt Tate of our one one Sports and also Kevin Flaherty coming up later on. We'll take a timeout. Matt Tate is going to join the show here coming up in less than 15 minutes. We'll take a break. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Nick Springer from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch services can help you stay loose and limber and clear your mind and help your body. Their total body stretch services are completely customizable. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and breathe deep while they help you through the guided stretches. So if you've been dealing with aches and pains, be sure to check out Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. Welcome back into Rock Talk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. And right now we are joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports here on RCST. Matt, Kansas, another dominant performance really for them on uh, at Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday against Texas, winning by almost 20 points and, and really getting a complete game. Maybe what, what stood out to you maybe most immediately after that game for Kansas in the wake of that uh, big win that KU had on Saturday? Well, a couple of things. Um, number one, I didn't, I didn't think Texas was very good. Um, so, it, you know, it's a good win and they and KU certainly played a good game but um I was surprised how bad Texas is and um it might not have even taken KU's A game to, to win that game so that that jumped out at me but the other thing was just I, I really liked Bill Self's substitution packages um I was uh, kind of picking up on it during the game like this doesn't look normal right I mean he doesn't do line changes like that and then we were able to talk to him a little bit about it afterwards and um, I got to talk with El Marco and, and Jamari McDowell, who were, you know, uh, both a part of that reserve unit, that bench group that came in together. Those two with Parker Brown subbing in together, subbing out together. Um, I, I thought it made a huge impact. And uh, I wrote a little bit more about that today. And uh, I expect that we'll probably see it that way tonight, too. Um, 
And and to be honest with you, it seems like it it very well could be the thing that that maybe I don't want to say saves, but um, solves might be the better word. Um, solves their their issue with with bench production because those guys looked really good in that role, and it makes sense that they would be comfortable playing together if they practice together if they know that's how it's going to be. You know, you don't have to worry about fitting in with any number of different lineups, you know, those three are going to be, or those other two are going to be out there with you all the time and you get to, you get to operate accordingly. So I I thought that was brilliant. I think, you know, give credit to those players for, for uh, being able to play and and execute that way. But I thought coach self was uh, pretty genius to come up with that. Yeah. And I think kind of like you mentioned, we haven't really seen anything like this before from, from Bill self, uh, and when you think about it that way, what really stood out to you about what he said specifically about this and kind of his approach to this basically, I mean, is, is experiment the right term for it? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair word. Um, you know, I, I, here's what stood out to me, and, and I, I didn't really get into this in my story, but the story breaks down, you know, kind of what happened and, and, and more importantly, what Jamari and El Marco thought of it specifically. They, you know, it sounds like they loved it. Um, so what what stood out to me, though, is is – this is a Kansas team that's that's had a, a you know relatively rough season, right? Like it it hasn't gone as smoothly as they'd hoped. The bench hasn't really given them much. Um, obviously, now they're dealing with uh, Kevin McCullough injuries. You know, Hunter had some injuries along the way. Dewan's had some ankle issues along the way. Obviously, KJ lost his mom. I mean, it's it's been a little bit of a rocky season. Um, and there's not a ton of talent sitting there on the bench either, like you are accustomed to seeing at Kansas. So it would have been really easy to keep riding this thing out and maybe hope something changes or, or maybe somebody you know catches fire out of nowhere and you get lucky that way. But even if that didn't happen and you know you go out in the second or third round or something like that and it's just, well, it just wasn't our year. I, I don't think anybody would have necessarily said, you know, this was a massive failure or I can't believe that happened or what the hell's the matter with you or anything like that. It would have just been chalked up to, you know, wasn't their year. Uh, maybe they didn't make the best decisions in, in the transfer portal and things like that, but that's part of it now. And so, you know, one of those years. But rather than just kind of blindly walking toward that fate, um, you know, this is Bill Self, uh, a competitive um, driven coach who, who, you know, wants to get the best out of his players, wants and expects the best of himself. And, and certainly obviously a two-time national championship coach and, and a hall of famer. This is Bill self showing in real time that, that he puts the onus on himself too. Like he is there grinding, trying to figure out even with the limitations that this roster provides or presents, he is still, working as hard for this team as he expects the players to work for him and for each other. So to me, that's what really stands out about it. I mean, this is pretty unorthodox. This is really rare for him. This is not anything we've seen him do in the past yet. Here he is making it happen and, and tinkering and trying and, you know, whether this is the answer or not, it remains to be seen again. That wasn't a great Texas team. So maybe it works against Texas. Maybe it even works a little bit tonight or, next week against K-State, but, you know, when you're talking about Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four type of games, will it work in those games? Maybe, maybe not, but certainly no guarantee. So, um, you know, I, but I think what's happening is he's given them the best chance by finding that 
that um, approach and, and taking a gamble and, and just trying something that, that he hasn't tried yet. So, I, you know, he makes a lot of money. He gets a lot of praise. He gets a lot of credit. He He's beloved. I don't think this needs to be like a, a, a Bill Self is God kind of revelation here, but I do think it's important to remember that nobody would have, you know, done anything other than kind of throw their hands up with disappointment if they just let the season play out the way it was going to play out. But the fact that he's still in there, like I said, working as hard as, as he expects his players to work is is a, is a really cool thing to watch. And, and, you know, maybe he stumbled upon an answer. Yeah, and I think uh, the most interesting thing you said about that or something that I'm most interested in is, to your point about this this particular game against Texas, is this a rotation style that you think is replicable and will be can be successful for Kansas going forward, right? Or is it just kind of a thing where, hey, it worked against Texas, they have some smaller guards, so we were able to rotate in such a manner to where the matchups worked out? Or is it something you think truly that can be utilized going forward and be successful down the stretch here? Yeah, I, I think it can be, and I, and I think that would probably be the approach, um, especially if, if McCullough's not back. Um because, but even if he is, um, I, you know, I think, I think you could you could plug McCuller back into the starting lineup, and you could have Nick Timberlake as as a fourth member of that rotation, and put all four out there together. Um, and largely because I think the point behind it is to maximize the minutes and the amount of minutes that your starting five is out there together, because we've seen that group play together, and when they're together, and they're rested, and they're clicking, they're you know, as good as anybody. And so rather than, you know, give Jamari 10 minutes, but have it be with four of the starters, and then you give El Marco 10 minutes, but it's with a different four group of the starting five. And you make Parker Brown play seven or eight minutes. Obviously he goes in for Hunter. So he's with those other four starters. And at that point now you've, you know, you've, you've disrupted your starting five for 25, 30 minutes of the game. Um, by having those guys out there at different times. When you put them all out there together, you can play them all five-minute spurts in the first half, five-minute spurts in the second half, give them their 10 minutes apiece, um, and and at the end of the day, it's still only taking 10 minutes away from that starting unit. It's not, it's not expanding that number. So I think that's probably the biggest reason behind it, and I think that – when you look at it in that context, I think that that tells you, yeah, he probably will do it moving forward against just about anybody because the goal is to find a way to play those starters as much as you can, and, and that's the easiest way to do it. Yeah, and to that end, Dewan Harris has now had back-to-back games with zero turnovers. Is is he all the way back? You think he's all the way back right now? It sure seems like it. Um, you know, we say that, and then he's going to maybe – not shoot a bunch tonight or maybe miss a bunch of floaters or whatever. And everybody's going to say how bad he sucks again, you know? So maybe he's not, I don't know, but I, I think that, I think there's some, some, um, correlation there between what was it about a month ago. And then I think he repeated himself a couple weeks after that self basically saying everybody needs to just one needs to just stop listening to anybody else and just trust his instincts. And he even threw himself in that category. You know, he, he doesn't need to listen to me. He needs, he needs to trust his feeling. He needs to trust his game, what he knows about what's going on out there because he's a winner. And, you know, whether that's exactly what's happened or not, it's probably part of it. And um, I, I think that coincides with the fact that he's looked pretty good lately. Um, but, you know, it's also one of those things where he probably had a little bit of a, a revelation himself of sort of the 
yeah, I'm not playing real well. I got to pick it up. I got to do something better. I got to be better. And so, you know, whether it was the direct outside noise being shut out or just looking in the mirror and saying, you know, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be better. Um, either one, or maybe they combine together, but either way, it, it, seems like that's kind of been the case here and um credit to him for for stepping up because they need him man i mean this team's not deep enough to make a big run without him being at the top of his game and uh when he's at the top of his game that also means pretty much everybody else can play at the top of their games too when he's not it affects the entire roster the entire lineup that's on the floor so um, yeah, it's, he's, I mean, you can, you can argue for days, which one of these guys is the most important player. Um, but man, it'd be hard. You'd be hard pressed to say it's not Dewan Harris just because of the, the way he impacts the entire game for both teams for pretty much every minute he's out there. We're talking with Matt Tate of all one S one sports here on rock jock sports talk. Kansas takes on BYU tonight back at Allen Fieldhouse. You can hear that game right here at uh, 7 o'clock on KLWN. And Matt, BYU obviously poses a bit of a unique challenge here to Kansas with the way that they play and uh, their three-point shooting prowess. What what kind of jumps out to you immediately uh, in terms of this matchup for Kansas tonight against the Cougars? Well, yeah, obviously there's been a lot of talk about their three-point shooting, and, and that's been a real weakness uh, for the Kansas defense this year. So, um, you know, man, when you throw those things together, when when, when it's just something like – so obvious a strength that the opponent has, and then you're on high alert for that if you're the Kansas team and you've worked on it, you've talked about it, you've drilled it, you've you've understood and emphasized how important it is, and then you remember that you're playing at Allen Fieldhouse in, in, in an environment that can make it miserable for your opponent. I, I mean, BYU could come out and shoot 40 and make 20, and it wouldn't surprise me tonight. Um, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they come out and shoot 30 and make six. Um, and Kansas is just that turned up, and, and they just refuse to let themselves lose because they let BYU do what they want to do. And that's what happens every year with this KU team, right? Like, this is the time. It's, it's February 27th. March is a couple of days away, and now is the time, year after year after year, that they have to, whether they're there or not, they have to find a way to get there as far as putting it together and and being the defensive team that self expects that they are and being the defensive team that that he demands and and usually that means making other teams play bad and usually that means you know really paying attention to the scouting report and locking in on your job and making sure that um, you don't let yourself get beat because you were lazy or because you made them comfortable or allowed them to get comfortable so um if if the, the the choice between those two outcomes for tonight is on the table, I'm definitely taking the one that has Kansas play a great defensive game tonight. Um, that's not a knock on BYU. I just think that's that's the type of urgency that this team plays with this time of year, and I think they realize that that that's going to be you know uh, priority number one, priority number two, and priority priority number three tonight. And so they're gonna they're gonna be locked in on on limiting good looks and and making sure that BYU has to do something that they don't want to do to win the game. So um, we'll see. I mean, B- this team's really good, man. BYU's a really good team. They're really well coached. Um, I love their coach. I, I think he's terrific, and they uh, they carry his his 
sort of demeanor. You know, they don't back down from anything, and and uh, they're unflappable. And, and so, you know, they'll they'll have a counter for for whatever KU throws at them. But um, a lot of teams have come into Allen Fieldhouse hoping that their counter works only to find out that, you know, they're not even close with that counter. And then the third counter and the fourth counter don't work either. And next thing you know, it's been a really long night. So um, it'll be a tough game. It'll be a big-time win if KU gets it. Um, and it certainly won't be easy. But uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing it go any other way tonight. Well, there was another big game at Allen Field also over the weekend on Sunday afternoon. It was the KU women getting a big win at home against Kansas State uh, in the Sunflower Showdown. And that puts Kansas pretty much in the NCAA tournament. When you think about where this KU team has come on the women's side, Matt, up to this point in the season, it's been overall probably more on the disappointing side considering what the expectations were. But what, what can you say about just kind of the, the attitude they've had and the fight they've had to now get to this position where it looks like they are still in position to make the NCAA tournament? Yeah, they, I mean, it's great, man. They're 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 a terrific team, and, and uh, I think their maturity and their – their uh, mental toughness really paid off because, you know, in, in years past, even with some of these same same players, in years past, um, kind of the start of the Big 12 schedule would have been a little bit too much for them to, you know, handle and overcome. And there would have been frustration that set in, and that would have led to more problems and more problems. But they they learned a lot by, by the way they responded to the disappointment last year of not getting in and then finding a way to, to flip it and go on and win the WNIT, which doesn't mean anything to anybody, but it did mean something to them in the sense that, you know, it, it showed what they're made of and what they have in them. And so I think that's been a valuable lesson that they've carried into this season. Um, and again, it, it started rough. They lost their first three and then they got the big win against Baylor. Um, big difference between 0 and 4 and a loss to Baylor in the league versus 1 and 3 and a, and a big win over Baylor. Um, that that was a huge step. But you know, then the schedule set up in their favor too. They they it's it's not that they played easy games. It's kind of like the men's side. There aren't very many easy games, if any. But they they were games that the matchups went in their favor and and they executed and that was at home that was on the road um what have they won six of seven and i i think they're i think they're really close man to you know having that be a nine-game winning streak i mean they 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 lost at oklahoma at the early in the early part of this stretch uh and it was like a five-point game or something that they really were in the whole way and, and absolutely could have won um and then they lost at baylor the other night in another game that, you know, they had it tied in the third quarter and a couple of shots to go ahead that, that missed or, or else, you know, they could have come out of there with a win. So um, really close to nine in a row, but seven of nine, six of seven. I mean, that, that's, that's a heck of a stretch in, in a major conference like this. So I think their confidence is high, and I think that, you know, that, that their maturity and just that, that, that past experience of having – fought off some adversity has really paid off for them. And, and I think what's cool about the win on Sunday, it was a fantastic game, um, you know, both ways. K-State played hard. KU played hard. Uh, I don't remember seeing a team play as hard defensively as that, um, maybe at, at any level and, and maybe any sport. I mean, it was incredible how turned up KU's defense was and how, how much you could tell they needed, they, they wanted it and they knew they needed it. So um, credit to them for the win. But 
what was really cool was obviously the environment was great, 9,000 people there, and it, it felt like 90,000. Um, you know, just wonderful, wonderful day for women's basketball. But on top of that, they came out of that, yeah, smiling, feeling good, hugging each other, high-fiving each other, really happy with that win. But more important, they, they quickly moved on and said, okay, now we got UCF on Wednesday. That's a game you got to win. And, oh, by the way, we got another chance at Oklahoma on Saturday. And I think they're looking at this thing like, yeah, they probably feel good about that that win over K-State being enough to get in, but they know that if they win both of these games this week, that will definitely be enough. And after last year and watching what they thought was going to be their day and go their way, go the other way, um, I don't think this is a team that wants to go into Selection Sunday feeling anything other than secure about their spot. And if they win these two games this week, they will have pretty much guaranteed locked down their spot. So um, that was, was what was really cool to me was that they just um, so quickly shifted the focus to what's next and let's go finish this thing. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there, of course. But but they've made a heck of a run and they're, uh, they're, they're, they're playing – as as good now as everybody expected them to play all along, you know, off of that, that run they had to end last season. I mean, the expectations were, were really, really high. And it's a new team, and, and there's there's new challenges, and they played a tough schedule. I think their strength of schedule is number six in the country. Um, so, you know, it wasn't easy. Um, but, but they found their way through it, and, and they're playing at that level now that everybody expected them to, and including themselves. So, um not a team that anybody would want to play, I don't think. I mean, you know, they're not going to if, – if they do get in, they're, they're probably going to be a, a 9, 10, 11 seed, something like that. And so, you know, they'll be underdogs right away. And, and if they win one, then they, they play a really high seed the next game, and that'll be a really tough challenge. But I can't imagine that anybody would want to look down on the bracket and say, oh, cool, we get Kansas. I mean, this is a team that's balanced, and, and, and they'll be a tough out for anybody. He is Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports. You can check out all of their coverage of both the KU women, the KU men, and also KU football, I'm sure, with the spring ball coming up as well. Matt, appreciate your time as always, man, and look forward to chatting with you again next week. Yeah, sounds good, man. Enjoy the 80-degree uh, temperatures and the snow on the way. Perfect day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Talk to you later. All right, that was Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports here joining us on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down. Hour and a half to go. We're out early at 5.30 for coverage of the KU-BYU game right here on KLWN. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, we'll get to some talk with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. There was some news that broke uh, in the last hour or so. Also get some uh, KU heroes and villains talk for KU basketball here from Bill Self. And Kevin Flaherty will join the show as well coming up at 4.40 as well. That's all coming up and more here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Out early today at around 5:30 for pregame coverage of KU and BYU coming up tonight right here on KLWN. Uh, we're going to hear from Bill Self coming up later on this hour. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show at 4:40 as well. And then in the five o'clock hour, we'll get into uh, some Nick Timberlake audio from yesterday uh, ahead of the BYU game, plus some KU game picks and other prop bets as well. Did want to get to, to the KU Heroes and Villains from the KU-Texas game. But before we get to that, some uh, breaking news within the last 30 minutes or so, actually, last hour or so. This tweet comes from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. 
The Kansas City Chiefs have informed Legereus Sneed they are prepared to use the franchise tag and are open to consummate a, tra- consummate a trade-off uh, if no long-term deal is reached. Per source, Sneed is agreeable to the scenario, giving him a chance to talk with other teams while, we're, while KC remains in play. And uh, certainly that the part about that trade is the, I think, probably the most eye-popping part of the scenario. I think it was probably pretty likely that KU was going to have to trade one of, or I guess I, I should say, that I think it just said KU, the Chiefs. It seemed pretty likely that the Chiefs were going to have to tag, franchise tag, one of Legereus Sneed or Chris Jones. I think a tag and trade scenario seemed more likely for Chris Jones uh, you would think, but uh, instead it seems like the Chiefs are going a little bit of a different route uh, by tagging Legereus Sneed here or informing him they are prepared to use the franchise tag on him and, and open up to a trade. Uh, it is worth noting that something like this actually did happen uh, back in 2019 with D. Ford when he was traded to the 49ers for a second-round pick. So there's, there's a couple of different things to a couple of different things to break down from that. Uh, number one, what exactly would the value of Legereus Sneed be? Uh, I mean, it's almost hard from the Chiefs' perspective to not overvalue Legereus Sneed, so I don't know what other teams would, value, would put on him in value. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of draft talk, and, and it seems like a lot of teams really may have needs on the outside at the cornerback position. And I think if there's one lesson to be taken away maybe from the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl is if you've got really, really elite cover corners, you can do a lot of different stuff with your defense. And so maybe that might elevate the uh, the, the the price of Legere C in this scenario if teams say, hey, listen, we can get him and you know maybe find another young corner like the Chiefs did with Trent McDuffie and try to lock some teams down on the outside and, and play our defense through that. I don't know. I think it is interesting because I, I kind of talked about this as it regards to the Chiefs. I think it would make, I think I think it would make more sense if you keep Legarius Sneed and end up, you know, departing from Chris Jones. Uh, I think both scenarios are difficult to stomach if you're the Chiefs because both players are so great. But Legarius Sneed would be cheaper if you were signed to a long-term deal, and uh, also I just think that the way the Chiefs played defense, especially late in the season, I think with their style and with Steve Spagnuolo having two elite cover corners on both sides with Snead and paired with Trent McDuffie, uh, I think makes a lot of sense. But the Chiefs seeming seem like they might be going the other direction. You know, I don't know what this means for the uh, the Chris Jones situation. I don't, uh, you know, and obviously this is just kind of a preliminary, like, <clears throat> they're prepared. The The tweet from Jerry Fowler says the Chiefs are prepared to use the franchise tag on the Jerry Snead, so I don't think they officially, like, have done that. Uh, but... It is, a, I think, a, a very unique situation, and and it seems like there's never a lack of interesting things happening with the Chiefs uh, between winning Super Bowls and the off-seasons, right? I mean, you have the Tyreek Hill stuff, they go back, they win the Super Bowl. Then you have the Chris Jones stuff last off-season that bled into the season. They win the Super Bowl. Now this off-season, again, you have more with Chris Jones and LeJarrius Sneed, and, and, and we'll see how things play out. Uh, I think at this point, Brett Veach has certainly earned the benefit of the doubt when handling these types of situations because... He's, well, certainly not infallible. He's been really good uh, overall in, in terms of dealing with this stuff. So we'll see how things uh, see how things play out. I think the Jarius Sneed situation, it's, it's definitely really interesting because, it, I mean, you've got the, the position depth or lack of depth at the cornerback position around the league. You've got cap draft, draft capital situations, age certainly playing a factor. I think when you look at, Again, when you go back to the, like the Chris Jones conversation versus Legarius Sneed, 
it's it's all very fascinating. So we'll see how that breaks break. That's we'll see how that unfolds. I guess with uh, Lajarius Sneed going forward. Okay, did want to get to KU basketball heroes and villains from KU's win over Texas on Saturday, eighty six to sixty seven. Kansas defeats the Longhorns as they get ready to turn the page now over to BYU tonight. A couple of heroes I didn't want to make mention of, though, for KU. On the offense, offensive heroes. I don't know how you don't mention Dewan Harris at this point. Uh, kind of talked about there with Matt Tate. Probably going to talk about it with Kevin Flaherty as well. Dewan Harris seems to have turned the page on his ability to, to be that elite-level point guard uh, in terms of just not turning the ball over. Zero turnovers for Dewan Harris. Six assists in the game. 14 points on 7 of 11 from the floor. I mean, that's a stat line you say, hell yes, every single game. If you can get that from Dewan Harris, uh, incredible performance from him on the offensive end and not turning the ball over. Really, really great work uh, for him, both not turning the ball over, but also in, be- in scoring and being a scoring contributor. Right, fourteen points as well for Dewan is nothing to sneeze at, and that was a game where he didn't hit a three and only attempted one three. So, uh, you know, I think his his three point effectiveness is something to still keep an eye on. But in this particular game against Texas, it was it was everything else. It was getting to the rim. It was finishing. Uh, some shots near the rim, and then uh, those that great passing as well for uh, for Dewan Harris. Also, kind of wanted to give a shout out to Marco Jackson though. Uh, Marco Jackson ends up not scoring or even attempting a shot. He finishes the game with four assists to two turnovers, but he had the great behind the back pass to Hunter Dickinson. Uh, he seemed significantly more confident running the offense as the at the point, which was really really good to see as well. Especially if you're going to have him be spelling Dewan Harris more and kind of taking over that position because. We kind of saw without with Dewan Harris off the floor, it was really Kevin McCuller who was the next guy up that was kind of handling the point or doing a lot of the ball handling for a while there. And obviously with no Kevin McCuller, that kind of limits your options, right? KJ Adams has shown that he can be a guy that can bring the ball up the court and maybe get the offense going, but he's not a guy you necessarily want to be handling the ball regularly with the shot clock winding down. Whereas it seems like Marco Jackson uh, is another guy that hopefully has maybe started to figure some figure some things out with 14 minutes played. So, wanted to give a, uh, a shout-out to Marco Jackson as well for his uh, passing and running the point. Probably be remiss without bringing up Nick Timberlake here on offense as well. 13 points tied for his uh, season high for Kansas. Obviously had the electric dunk as well. And again, goes one of three from three, but those were good looks, I thought, really, from three. So, yeah, I don't know, but uh, certainly a strong performance for him offensively. And uh, then also K.J. Adams. K.J. Adams, 16 points on 8 of 12 from the floor. And, man, he just he just continues to find great ways to be effective for Kansas in so many different areas. Uh, very impressed with his performance as well on uh, on the offensive end. Defensive heroes in the game. How about Jamari McDowell? Ends up with two steals in in the in the game in 14 minutes, and uh, look was was playing pretty well on defense out there. I think Nick Timberlake deserves a nod also on on defense as well. I think Bill Self even uh, gave him a a mention there for for playing strong on on the defensive end as well for for Timberlake. So that was cool to see. Uh, Jamari McDowell I think deserves it as well. I like Parker Brown. Credited with two blocks in the game as well for uh, for Parker Brown on uh, the defensive end and did a good job. And, you know, this could be a game tonight against BYU where, like I said, I don't know, with Hunter Dickinson's matchup and how BYU is going to play that, 
I don't know, maybe Parker Brown does get a chance to maybe play a little bit more as a little bit more of an athletic five that can maybe stick with some of these outside perimeter guys for BYU. I don't know, to be honest. Uh, we'll see how that plays out for KU. But, yeah, I think Parker Brown, Jamar McDowell, and uh, Nick Timberlake. Other heroes from the game. Uh, how about the crowd for the SEC chants? That's pretty good, right? Send Texas pack into the SEC with a good little SEC chant. That's always nice. Uh, the crowd was pretty good, I thought, for this game uh, against Texas. So shout out to uh, Alan Phillips as always. And uh, because listen, man, including tonight against BYU, you got tonight and you got the K State game. That's it. Those are your last two chances to uh, to cheer, cheer on the Jayhawks and Alan Phillips. So they, I thought it did, I thought they did a good job. Uh, the student section with the SEC chants that was good to hear. Rockstar Jayhawk chants also were were good. I know I saw some people on, on social media saying that they, they thought that the Rock Chuck chants were kind of going away at the end of games. feels like there's been a concerted effort to keep those going, which has been great to see because I think it is a really, really cool thing that KU does when you're dominating an opponent and you just hear that. Or when you're an opponent, conversely, and you're getting dominated and you hear that, it uh, kind of probably makes things feel a little bit worse. So that was good to see. Uh, in terms of villains, I mean – it's hard to find very many villains in a game when you win by 20 and you were pretty much up by that much for a good majority of the game. Uh, you had the Max Acemas uh, intentional foul on Nick Timberlake late in the game. That's got to be up there with uh, for him, making him a villain in the game where he uh, kind of shoves Timberlake from behind uh, late in the game and that kind of started a little bit of the gathering of both sides. So I think you can put Acemas on the list of uh, villains for that move. Uh, Tyrese Hunter ends up hitting three threes in the game. You can throw him on the list there, maybe as, as a villain. Uh, he scored 12 points. Uh, Dylan DeSue was pretty quiet, but he did hit a couple threes. I don't know if you want to put him as a as a, as a villain uh, as well. Uh, Caden Shedrick, I just I just think Caden Shedrick's annoying. So this is just more for me personally. I wanted Caden Shedrick on there. I just think he's annoying, and uh, I don't like him. So he's a villain in my eyes. <laughs> so uh, he's he's definitely a villain in my eyes overall. So. Yeah, that's some KU. That's our KU basketball heroes and villains. I uh, do want to get to some Bill Self audio. We sat down with the media yesterday ahead of this game against BYU, and we'll get to what he had to say coming up on the other side. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show coming up in a little over, a little about twenty minutes from right now, and we'll also get to some Nick Timberlake audio in the five o'clock hour, along with some KU game picks out at five thirty today here on RCST to switch over to pregame coverage of. The KU-BYU game starting at 5.30, tip-off 7 o'clock for the Jayhawks and the Cougars coming up tonight. Don't forget also on our sister station, 92.9 The Bull, you'll have a chance to hear high school basketball coverage of Substate underway tonight with Lawrence High. It's the girls at home against Olathe North. It's kind of funny how the East bracket worked out. So Lawrence High on the girls' side is going to be hosting Olathe North in the 8-9 matchup tonight. Tomorrow night, Lawrence High on the boys' side. They'll be on the road taking on Olathe North, coincidentally enough, as, as that's kind of how the seating broke down uh, tomorrow night. That game will be on KLWN, but the game tonight uh, for the Lawrence girls will be on 92.9 The Bull, so you can hear KU men's basketball here on KLWN. And if you're looking for Lawrence High substate basketball coverage, 92.9 The Bull is where you can hear that. And we'll take a timeout. Bill Audio coming up next. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. KU and BYU coming up tonight here on KLWN with a 7 o'clock tip. But right now we are joined by Kevin Flaherty. 
Kevin, uh, are you enjoying this warm weather? Because, you know, it's going to be going away quick. It's supposed to be uh, snowing, I think, by tonight. Yeah, I, I saw the uh, the weather report. I actually, here in a little bit, I'm getting ready to go to the grocery store. I put some shorts on, you know, <laughs> to, uh, to, to run over there and saw the weather report that said, you know, wind chills in the single digits and, and snow. So it's it's funny because I've lived in different places, as I'm sure you have, and Every single place across the country, they say if you don't like the weather, you know, wait ten minutes or whatever. But yeah. you know, Kansas is one of the places that I feel like that uh, that definitely holds true. They say that in Texas too, by the way. And I was like, I waited ten minutes and it's still hot. You know, no, it, the one it thing did that I noticed that uh, much. Yeah, the one thing that I noticed is everywhere you go, people say, "Oh, we have the craziest weather here." And it's like, okay, yes. I, I mean, I think Kansas maybe might actually have a real legitimate case there. Uh, speaking of Kansas, they had a big game against Texas on Saturday, a big win for the Jayhawks, 86-67. to uh, Walk away from that game, Kevin. What was just kind of your immediate reaction to KU defending home court once again and really being pretty dominant throughout? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is is that statistically speaking, when uh, not to get too in the weeds, but typically when a team is missing a star player, you know, you don't see much of a drop-off for that first game, maybe not even the second game, you know, as teams are, are trying to figure out how you're going to play without that star player, right? So we seem to have lost Kevin there. We'll uh, see if he, see if I can get him back here. Uh, we're talking with Kevin Flaherty here on uh, Rock Chalk Sports Talk, see if I can get him back uh, here on the show. As, as Yeah, I mean, listen, no Kevin McCuller, uh is – is certainly something that's a major storyline, right, for this for this team because of the fact that without him, your bench becomes even shorter when it's already shorter. And then you look at it like Nick Timberlake and his play and how if he can step up and how what he can do for for KU. And then you think about Jamar McDowell, who suddenly is, 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 has been picking up and, and playing better. And uh, you know after he kind of dealt with the flu, Marco Jackson had one of his most confident games, but. But yeah, in the immediate aftermath, you're right. It's almost like the the backup the backup quarterback syndrome, where the backup quarterback comes in and looks really good for a game or two because nobody has any film on him, and then things start to change, right? So it's it's an interesting point to be had. And KU has obviously played a couple of games now without Kevin McCuller uh, to this point, but but again. It, Teams that maybe haven't seen Kansas yet, I'm sure they're reviewing the film of him without of the of K without Kevin McCuller, but maybe aren't fully prepared exactly for what K is going to be throwing at them. And obviously, what we saw from KU in this game with their platoon style uh, switching of their rotation that was very significant because that had never really been done. Kansas hadn't really tried that, uh, and. Kansas, and no, no team had seen that, right? And I, I, I don't know if that necessarily caught Texas off guard, uh, or you know what happened there, but, but it is something that's noteworthy, right? It's KU did something new that they haven't done before. Uh, we're trying to get Kevin Flaherty back on here. I'm trying to see if I can get him back here, uh, but yeah, it is something they haven't done before. So that's something that maybe could have thrown off Texas a little bit, but. I, I thought Matt, Matt Tate made a good point uh, earlier in the show saying, you know, Texas also didn't play very well, and Kansas probably could have won that game. Uh, they're going to try to get Kevin back on here. 
All right, Kevin, did I get you back here? Yeah, yeah. Ah, there we go. All right, sorry about that. I think we just lost connection there for a minute. Um, uh, but kind of going back to what we were talking about, you know, w- without Kevin McCuller in this game, you're right, Kansas really uh, – maybe there was sort of that effect of like, oh, they were able to play well in, the, in a few games without him, and maybe Texas wasn't expecting that. But uh, I also kind of wanted to ask you about the, the sort of platoon-style rotation we saw from KU. That was kind of a big discussion after the game with Bill Self, you know, kind of rotating in that certain way. Uh, what did you kind of make of that in the game against Texas, and do you think that's something that's maybe sustainable going forward for KU? Yeah, I thought it was creative, and I thought you know when you're when you're playing without somebody you know who's one of your best players, you you kind of have to go back to the drawing board a little bit, and this is something that we haven't really seen. I, I think it is somewhat sustainable. I, I think obviously the the issue with calling anything sustainable for this Kansas team is the fact that. It's a team that came into the season and you could say still has national title hopes. And so sustainable means something different for Kansas than maybe it does for a team that doesn't have those hopes, right? Like, can Kansas win a national title with with a platoon but without a healthy Kevin McCuller? You know, I, I have a hard time seeing that play out. Can they have some success with it? Yes. But at the same time, if this is a team that – that winds up ultimately, you know, going to the second round or, or in the Sweet 16 or, or something like that, having a little bit of tournament success, but not making the run that everybody thought this team was capable of. Obviously, it's the sort of thing where people are going to maybe look at it after the year and say, well, it, it didn't quite turn out the way that people had hoped. Yeah, and when you look at this team without Kevin McCuller, look at DeWan Harris. Over his last two games, zero turnovers, two-plus games, zero turnovers. Uh, double-digit points again against Texas. Uh, what have you seen from him specifically that's maybe allowed him to have this sort of renaissance down the stretch here for Kansas? Yeah, I actually think you can take it back, you know, probably five games when you look at that Kansas State game. And I know that that, that was a loss in Manhattan, but and he had three turnovers, but he also had 15 points and eight assists in that game. And I think he had two steals and a block as well. And so Dewan Harris is a guy that Kansas fans, uh, I think, you know, People outside of Kansas don't understand how good Dewan Harris is, and yet at the same time, for a lot of this year, Dewan Harris hasn't really been Dewan Harris. You know, he's been maybe a little bit more passive as he's trying to try to get different guys involved. You know, defensively, I feel like you know he what hasn't been the impact player that maybe we're used to seeing. And I think that over the last five games, we've seen Dewan Harris again. And he's he's done it as a scorer. He's done it as a distributor. But, Nick, just as important, he's done it defensively. I mean, you look at the work that he did on Texas's guards in a game where Harris wound up, you know, playing so many uh, – so many minutes playing 33 minutes in a blowout game, obviously he really impacted that game. And when you look at what Harris did defensively against Oklahoma, when you look at what he's done in some of those other games, I do think that it's not necessarily a benefit to Kevin McCuller being out because McCuller, you know, played in that Kansas state game. And, you know, you had uh you had access to him for, for some of those other games. But at the same time, I do think that Dewan Harris, maybe in his absence or, or in his, you know, when McCuller's been limited, it has allowed Dewan Harris to kind of step up his game, or at least he's took that on himself. 
We're talking with Kevin Flaherty here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Kevin, an interesting opponent tonight for for Kansas State, at least uh, with a, a unique style that they play with BYU in terms of shooting threes. Uh, what, what stands out to you about that, and how do you think Kansas will have to approach trying to uh, shut down the Cougars tonight at Allen Fieldhouse? Yeah, it's funny. I, I know you're you know a member of you know KU Twitter, if you will, <laughs> and obviously you know people are already freaking out, saying, "Oh my gosh, BYU's coming in off of a little bit of a cold streak." And so a team that moves the ball the way BYU does, that shoots the way that BYU does, and shoots as often as BYU does, people are, are already kind of resigning themselves to the fact that they feel like this is probably going to be a bounce-back game for, for the Cougars. Kansas has done a better job, though, defending the arc at Allen Fieldhouse. And whether you want to say that that's just, you know, law of percentages, guys not shooting as well on rims that they're not used to, whatever you want to say. I do think that Kansas has had some stretches defensively at Allen Fieldhouse where their work on the perimeter has been pretty good too. It hasn't just been, you know, hey, guys are missing open shots on the road that that they're making at home. And so I do think that it's a, a chance for for Kansas to really work against this style of team because you're going to run into not necessarily a team just like BYU, but a team that wants to, you know, do the same things, that wants to take a high three-point rate. You're going to play that sort of team in the NCAA tournament probably and how well you do defending the arc, not giving up open shots, closing out well, you know, rallying back to shooters, running people off the three-point line, how well you do in those different things could determine how far you go in the NCAA tournament when you wind up matched up against that kind of team. Yeah, and I'm very curious in this particular matchup and, and any team like that that you might see like BYU like you were alluding to with Hunter Dickinson, right? We've seen some games previously. I, I always flash back to the Yale game. Yale had a stretch five guy that was really burning. Hunter Dickinson, and then KU made the switch with KJ Adams. You saw against Texas, it was KJ Adams guarding Dylan DeSue, you know, from the start, right? In a game like this, where BYU has five guys on the floor that can shoot the three, how do you anticipate Kansas kind of countering that with Hunter Dickinson on the defensive end? It's really tough, and I know that that's not really an answer. But the truth of the matter is, is that Kansas has had really good defenses in the past when they've had big men who weren't necessarily the most mobile, weren't necessarily the best on the perimeter. You know, we've talked on this show so often about how Bill Self was kind of able to sticky putty an elite, you know, silly putty an elite defense in that 2021 or 2020-2021 season, you know, when they struggled so much defensively over the course of the year by really, you know, working with David McCormick on his drop coverage and all of those things. I think the interesting thing to me, Nick, is what Kansas decides to do with Hunter Dickinson over the next month. And what I mean by that is the fact that Kansas has had Hunter Dickinson hedging a lot this year. He's come out and he's played away from the basket. It was something that, you know, if you remember back when he picked Kansas, he said that, he wanted to play for, for Bill Self because he would help him show better defensively for the NBA and different things like that. If this Kansas team is going to you know, make the sort of deep run into the NCAA tournament, make a Final Four, compete for a national title, you know, wherever you want to put them, it probably needs to be a discussion of, hey, are we going to continue to, to high hedge everything with Dickinson and, and hope he gets back, you know, under the rim in time, or is this the sort of thing where Kansas is going to go back to 
to switching four, having a big man kind of patrol the paint and, and go that way. And I think that tonight could be kind of an interesting indicator because BYU has a five that's that's going to force you to step out potentially or make that guy make shots. So does Kansas have a guy where they give up those uh, they give up those potential open looks and keep Hunter Dickinson around the rim, or do they go ahead and ask him to to defend away from the basket? I think it's going to be an interesting strategy question. Yeah, and I, and I think obviously with Hunter Dickinson, you're not going to take him off the floor because of what he can do at the offensive end, right? So clearly this is something where it's going to have to be you try to figure it out in the game and try to figure out the best way to utilize him on the defensive end so that he can still be effective on the offensive end, right? Yeah, and I I think, too, you know, people forget that Michigan had an elite defense Hunter Dickinson's freshman year. So it's not like a team can't have a great defense with Hunter Dickinson as the backbone of that defense and playing that center spot. We've seen that happen before, and obviously, you know, nothing against Jawan Howard or the coaches at Michigan. I, I tend to think Bill Self is a better defensive coach um, than, than, you know, what Hunter Dickinson had at, at Michigan, and so I think Kansas can be really good defensively, and obviously some of that you would think would depend on a guy like Kevin McCuller coming back at some point even if he's not at 100% being some some version of himself. But at the same time, you've seen this Kansas team over stretches, you know, put up really terrific defensive play. And I think that that's kind of where everything starts. That's kind of the, the start and stop for this team. If they don't defend well in March, they're going home early. And if they do, then, then they have a chance to, to do some things. And so... I do think that uh, I think Kansas can have an effective and potentially even an elite defense with Hunter Dickinson on the court, and they've shown that at different times this year. But you know, it, it's something where Kansas needs to start showing that for thirty minutes a game, forty minutes a game, as opposed to hey, Kansas was great defensively for this ten minute stretch, maybe not so much for the ten minutes after that. No, Kevin McCullough tonight for Kansas. When when you think about him not being available. Of those other three guards, Timberlake, El Marco, and Jamar McDowell, which of those three do you think is maybe most important to, to, to play well here, maybe in this game specifically against BYU or even down the stretch as well, to try to fill in that void in games where Kevin's not going to be able to play? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been Nick Timberlake. and I think that, you know, as, as, much as, uh, as much as all of us would love to see El Marco Jackson kind of break out of it, you know, he's... He's a good kid, you know, and he he has some talent. I think the confidence is a little bit shot right now. You would love it to to have him have a big game in a game like this where he's going to be, you know, a real athletic threat. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do think that not just this game, but but moving forward, you know, Nick Timberlake is kind of, if not a Kevin McCuller replacement, at least an insurance plan, right? And, and so. I think Timberlake is important for those reasons. He's important in that he's a proven outside shooter over the course of his career, even though he hasn't necessarily shot it well this year. And how many times is, you know, as people who follow Kansas, have we seen a guy that you know can shoot kind of slump and then all of a sudden, you know, hey, the, the ball starts dropping and, and it's it's the best thing in the world. You know, obviously Malik Newman is a guy that – that comes to mind who just went absolutely thermonuclear in March. Even if you go back, I think, and this is, you know, 
a long time ago, but you think about the 1993 Final Four run. From what I remember, Rex Walters was a really good shooter as a junior, maybe slumped a little bit as a senior, and, and caught on you know, when, when it was important for him to do so. And so if, if Timberlake can start knocking down those outside shots that he's going to get just by virtue of everybody packing things in, trying to limit Hunter Dickinson, uh, I think he's the guy that can have a really big impact. Now, I think that McDowell could still have a role to play on this team. It's not going to be as big as the as big as um, as Nick Timberlake. It might not even be as many minutes as El Marco Jackson. But with his hustle, if he gives you anything offensively, if he makes a shot here or there, if he you know makes a play that leads to a basket, you know he can be a guy that you look back and say, hey, you won that second round game in part because of really good bench minutes that he was able to give you for eight or ten minutes. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all of his great analysis of both KU and more on, on college sports and sports in general at Kevin Flaherty FA on social media, on Twitter. Be sure to check him out. Kevin, appreciate your time as always, man. Look forward to chatting with you again next week. All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. That was Kevin Flaherty joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, about 30 minutes to go. We're going to get to KU Basketball Game Picks plus Nick Timberlake audio coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. And then we'll step aside at 5.30 for pregame coverage of KU and BYU. That's coming up. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it here on the podcast side here on the Best of RCST podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. And, of course, if you do want to hear the full show, you can listen every day, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You are only daily KU-centric sports radio show that you'll find every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the Best of RCSC podcast presented by Massage Envy. You can also find us on KUSports.com as well. Be sure to check out the live show every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Thanks for listening.